Unheard Yorkshire is a new podcast brought to you by Settle Stories, where we reveal hidden stories from Yorkshire. Unheard Yorkshire from Settle Stories. This famous school chapel must have caused quite a sensation, you know. Described so, yeah. by a local man as what the, he said something about what do they want to be building a heathen temple yeah. up there for you. Know? I know it was called the heathen temple. <laughs> that was Leonard Dutton talking about one of the most distinctive landmarks in the area, Giggleswick School Chapel. The school chapel is unusual as it's a domed building in a rural setting. We sent our very own Louise to meet the current chaplain, the Reverend Alex Lads. So we'll hear about how the chapel is being used currently and memories from the chapel's past. To start with, let's hear from Leonard Dutton again, giving us an insight into how the school started. And James Carr, uh, being a chantry priest uh, in Stackhouse, what was the chantry piece, actually? Well, all the chantry piece did, uh, as far as I'm aware, is that he sang uh, masses for the souls of the dead. And this is what I imagine happened in James Carr's play, uh, case, and that he found life was tedious in that way, and uh, did what um, some priests did in those days. They started teaching children in the church porch. And uh, obviously he was successful, and and uh, um, he wanted more room. And therefore, he got permission to uh, to have this land where on um, where the first school was built, um, the other side of the church, the north side of the church. Although Giggleswick School was established in 1512 by James Carr, the chapel wasn't built until 1897 in honour of Queen Victoria's jubilee. Donated by Walter Morrison, a local landowner and school governor, Walter was very particular about what he wanted the chapel to look like. A Gothic structure with a dome, he said, and he wished that the building should be completely fitted and furnished inside to allow for no unsympathetic alteration in the future. The story of how they chose where to build the chapel has become somewhat of a local legend. You know the story of, uh, of how it was put there? Yeah. This is a story. I'm only telling stories that may not be true, but I've heard this over and over again. That um, in the first case, uh, the school wanted to celebrate the, the Queen's Jubilee. And I understand the governors didn't know what to do about it. And therefore, uh, Morrison, who was a governor then, uh, I'm told, sent a postcard from... London, he was MP, sent a coast part from London, probably from the British Museum, saying that he thought it would be a good idea if he gave a chapel in celebration. Of course, they led to this. But of course, it was to be done in the way that he wanted it done and everything, and where he wanted it. And it, to have to, it had to have a dome. And I'm told that he uh, took the architect and uh, presumably the contractor, but it probably not contracted until then. Uh, they walked up the hill and he stuck his umbrella in the ground like that and said, that's what the chapel. <laughs> yes, I've heard yeah. that from Jack Brassington. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yes, yes, yes. 
Um, quite typical of the time, isn't it? Yeah, there was planning regulations yeah. or anything because they didn't exist. Morrison was quite the benevolent benefactor of the area. He was also involved in levelling the cricket pitch that was prone to flooding, much like a lot of this area. People don't always understand that he not only gave the chapel, but he gave the gatehouse and he gave the cricket pavilion. Uh, he may have given money for levelling the cricket ground, that I don't know, because that was extended. That used to be a, not in my time, but that used to be a, a tarn. And what, where the cricket? Yes, in the middle part. That's, it's, it's always sunk a bit. Uh, I used to look, <laughs> Actually, uh, just to remind me, somebody, I was talking to someone about, uh, about settled church and churchyard, and he said it's excessively wet, is that churchyard. He said, being buried in settled churchyard is the next best thing to being buried at sea. <laughs> <laughs> Not only did Walter Morrison donate the chapel and the cricket field, but also the gatehouse that you have to go through to approach the chapel. And it is here that the school chaplain, Reverend Alex Lads, resides. Here he describes what it's like living directly opposite the chapel. When um, the chapel was given to the school as a present uh, by Walter Morrison, who used to live at Malham uh, in the house just by Malham Tarn, and he wrote a letter to the headmaster of the time, George Stile, and said, I've got an idea. I'd like to give you a chapel. I'd like it to be built on the hill at the back of the school, and here's the money to pay to build it, and here's the architect, and here are the plans... Uh, and part of that gift uh, he gave the school chapel, which I think was about £27,500 in 1898. Uh, he also built the school's cricket pavilion, which is uh, just by the beautiful cricket pitch, which is underneath the field of the chapel. And he also built uh, what is the chapel's gatehouse. So to get to the chapel by car, you have to drive through my house. Uh, so that's where I live as the chaplain. So my view uh, from my bedroom window is this amazing chapel. Uh, but um, I think it's quite a good sobering thought that um, in the planning and the giving, Walter Morrison gave, as I said, £27,500 to build the chapel. Uh, just short of £2,000 to build the cricket pavilion and only about £1,500 to give uh, uh, to build the chaplain's house. So in terms of sort of order of priority, God right up there at the top and then cricket and then the chaplain at the bottom, which I think is probably a fair reflection of, um, of life in uh, Giggleswick School, really. So uh, it's quite a good, good reminder of my position in life. So. <laughs> the domed shape of the chapel is probably one of the most distinctive elements. This feature was a personal desire of Morrison's. Let's hear from Leonard Dutton again, talking about Morrison. And also that he believed, and again I don't know if it's true, that there were too few domes in England. Mm. And the nearest one to hear is the Ashton Memorial at Langford. Of course, which is also rather squat, isn't it? Yes. And, yes. and very prominent. Yes, yes. yes. What is your assessment of, of Kittleswick School Chapel as a, as a building? Um, how do you think of it? How do you, how do you regard it? I think it yes. in, inside, yes. magnificent. Yes. Um, yes. And I could talk a lot about various things in it. Outside, it all strikes me as being squat. Mm. And uh, people say it mm. was built like that in order to 
to fit in with the countryside. I don't think it does. That is my feeling of it. Yes. But I'm very fond of the place for all that. Yes, that's right. Well, one thing about it, uh, it does seem to follow you about if you walk into the district, doesn't it? <laughs> From whichever <laughs> angle you look across the valley, there is the chapel. It's rather like Ailsa Craig, <laughs> isn't it, on the, on the west coast of Scotland, you know? Yes, this is one of the joys of living at Swarbeck. But much as I love the place, I can't see the chapel unless I want to, and then I just sort of walk a little bit further along the road. Yes. The dome is reminiscent of an observatory, which, when you first see the building, is what you might think it is. Even though it isn't an observatory, it did become an important location for an eclipse. Uh, in 1927, the Astronomer Royal was here. He wasn't actually up at the school chapel, was he? he was, yes, he was. He was, was he? on the cricket ground, at any rate. Was he? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. Do you remember this at all? No, I wasn't here. No, no. Uh, but yeah. I know that's true. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, and um, who was um, who was prime minister then? Would it be Baldwin? That's right. Yes. Well, he was up here, and, and yes. Geoffrey Dawson, and that sort of. Yes. A lot of people think the school chapel is an observatory, don't they? Oh, of course they do. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you know, and, and then when it's confirmed, of course, when people say the astronomer royal came up in yes. 1927, he certainly mm. was up there. Yes. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the site was guarded by the school corps. Mm. And there is also the story that I didn't the apocryphal. I yes. don't know because I Top Lord pinched the sign. <laughs> well, he did. He did, actually. No, the, the, the story is, of course, that at the crucial moment, a cloud is going to cover the sun or something. And it all, it's always been said that the, the late vicar of Malham got down on his knees and prayed the Lord to put it right. <laughs> yes, I, I did hear about that. I think cleared miraculously. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, yes. Let's hear from Alex Ladds again, where he talks about his favourite part of the chapel, the dome. The building itself um, is is just an amazing mix of style and uh, design. I've had guests that have come and and, uh, and look round and visitors, and they're amazed by the sort of uh, majesty and wonder of the building. But equally, I've had one friend who is an architect come and spend most of the time scratching his head and criticising because as a building you've got sort of mock Tudor uh, wattle and daub, you've got Italian graffiti um, plaster work mixed with uh, Eastern Orthodox towers and uh, Romanesque sort of uh, domes uh, with uh, Victorian style stained glass windows and a whole host of mixed styles all thrown together really in a uh, sort of exuberant outpouring of uh, this one man Walter Morrison along with his architect's uh, wonderful imagination for a, a church and a chapel in, in honour of God um, my favourite part, that's very hard um, the dome of the chapel is glorious and wonderful, it depicts uh, sort of the heavenly host of angels playing instruments and then it goes up to an oculus, uh, which is sort of a, a, a window up to heaven, surrounded by cherubs with wings. Um, and that view is always one that I find inspiring. What's perhaps strange is the best way to view it is to lie down in the middle of the choir. Uh, on the floor in the middle of the choir is a huge slice of Italian marble, uh, which if you look at it with a bit of imagination, almost looks like it's a slice across a globe with 
countries and continents. And in the middle of the uh, slice of marble is a little brass cross. If you lie on the floor with your head on the brass cross looking up, you're absolutely central underneath the high point of the dome. And just being that sort of five or six feet lower when you look changes the perspective and it just makes it seem much larger uh, and more um, all-pervasive, which, as it's depicting heaven, uh, I think is only right and proper. But it's, it's something that uh, I have caught the odd visitor by surprise. They walk in to look at the chapel and see this strange man lying on the floor in contemplation of sort of life, the universe, heaven and God. Uh, but it is a really good place to do that, uh, I think. So I would say if I had to pick a favourite, it would be the dome in and of itself, uh, just for its scale and its uh, amazing vision of heaven, its bright colours. Uh, it's a glorious thing to behold. The most famous services at Gigglesweek Chapel are the Christmas and end-of-term services. Holding a service during the war was problematic, particularly during the blackouts. Mr Dutton remembers how they got by. At the end of every term, there was an end-of-term service. Oh, I see. Yes. And yes. in the wartime, yes. um, mm. when, when the, war force, uh, war, the war first started, um, of course the blackout, and of course we couldn't hold services in chapel, and therefore uh, we used to hold them in the big school. Uh, but that was, I mean, blackout and all the rest of it the temperature of the place and everything else was so foul that we, we couldn't do it anymore. So, we, I suppose, we had that, that service in the afternoon. But when it came to the end of term service, Partridge said, well, that can only be in the chapel. And I can remember that he and I went up to the chapel in the dark with two candles, and we put them down on the floor in the chancel and lit them and went outside. And it was like a beacon. So the answer was no candles at all. Yes. And the, the uh, service was then held in the dark. Uh, Charlie Cresswell was standing outside at the door. And if he, no, I think, yes, in the dark. And if he heard an airplane or anything, then he was going to kill And uh, uh, the only light was that which Partridge used as a um, a torch to read his lessons or whatever it might be. And uh, I've taken that service. I took that service more than, more than once. And when you go up to the altar to have the final prayers, and that's, it's the loneliest place on earth because you can't see yourself. <laughs> when Louise interviewed the school chaplain, Reverend Alex Lads, it was Monday the 2nd of December, just after the beginning of Advent. Here, Alex Lads describes how the chapel prepares for Christmas. It's 2nd of December today, uh, so unusually Advent began on the 1st of December. I think most people think because of the Advent calendar having 24 doors that Advent is always the 1st of December, but it's not. It's the fourth Sunday before Christmas Day, if you want to be uh, picky about these things. Uh, so it was Advent Sunday. We had a lovely uh, uh, sort of Advent carol service singing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, a great uh, uh, Advent carol, and Hills of the North Rejoice, which always seems good to sing here as we're amidst the sort of the northern hills in Yorkshire. Uh, we had the choir singing anthems, one of our music scholars playing the violin. 
and all of that done in low light with candles and uh, as a chapel we are preparing for Christmas as we should in Advent so we've got a, a crib scene but it's empty apart from sort of a few animals and a shepherd obviously uh, Mary, Joseph and the baby Jesus have not arrived yet if you look around the chapel you can see the wise men just approaching uh, but not yet there uh, and that's sort of the sense of Advent it's that time of preparation and anticipation to celebrate the birth of Jesus but also it's that anticipation of Jesus fulfilling his promise that he will return and Advent's a time that we look at that aspect of the story as well which is I think often overlooked in the commercial world it's very much uh, a focus on Christmas uh, but Advent for the church is a time of looking back uh, but on that uh, looking back we also look forward to the promise that was made. I guess one of the highlights, not just for the school, but for the local community, is our evening uh, of lessons and carols service, which is very much uh, a traditional service of uh, Christmas carols, Christmas anthems, and uh, nine readings that retell the story of the Nativity. And that's open to uh, the local community. It's always sold out. It's free to come, but you have to book a ticket or there isn't room. Uh, We also have a midnight mass service here, so we are in this wonderful chapel uh, as Christmas Day dawns so uh, as we get over the midnight hour uh, into Christmas morning there are people gathered here to welcome Christmas from that very first moment that's always a wonderful uh, service and again very well attended we will finish the service with a glass of um, I always say it's champagne but the budget doesn't run to that it's usually Prosecco or Carver and mince pies to celebrate it always seems a good excuse to have something like that one of the strange uh, things for uh, the life of a school chaplain is that we're on holiday when most of the festivals happen obviously the church year uh, follows a set pattern with Christmas and Easter I guess being the two big punctuations but uh, as anyone who's had family or you know even I guess been to school knows uh, Christmas and Easter are obviously holidays so the school is very often empty when it's the biggest festivals so um One of the confusions for me is that I have to celebrate Christmas during Advent and then I go back to my role in the local parish and start Advent again and do Christmas again at Christmas time. And the same when it comes to Easter at school, we celebrate Easter during Lent and then go back to my parish where I have to be back in Lent mode and then have Easter Um, because obviously they're called holidays because they're holy days. That's why we're not here. Uh, But it's trying to... um, reflect the pattern of uh, the worship of the world and global church but do that slightly out of step with the world church because of the holidays that the school has. Other important events that take place at the chapel are weddings for old Giggleswickians. Reverend Alex Lads tells us about how 2020 is going to be a year of firsts. The other very special events are um, the the Giggleswick uh, community which is obviously the current students, staff and parents, but all people associated with the school, uh, very much includes our old students, old Giggleswickians, and uh, as an old Giggleswickian, OGs as they're called, um, uh, many uh, remember the chapel fondly and uh, you can get married here if you're an old Giggleswickian uh, or associated with the school closely. And doing uh, weddings for OGs is always uh, a great privilege and a joy. One thing that is, I'm not sure if it's good or bad, I've now been at the school 11 years 
so uh, just this year I've done the first wedding for an old Giggles Wikian uh, that I remember teaching uh, because I've been here so long the ex-students now getting old enough uh, to get married and uh, in this next year in 2020 uh, I've got another first uh, I've got uh, a wedding of an old Giggles Wikian that I taught who is marrying another old Giggles Wikian uh, that I taught and they both uh, met at school and have uh, stayed together as a couple and are coming back here where they met first uh, to be married so that's going to be very uh, emotional and very exciting uh, I think really for the whole community but it ha- it's happened not just once it's happening twice in 2020 there are two couples both of whom met at the school uh, who are coming back having gone off to university and uh, sort of the real world and jobs to uh, to make their vows and promises to each other in this great building and in the presence of God here. Giggleswick Chapel is an iconic part of the landscape nestled into a mossy hill and it also plays an important part of the school community. It's a place where former students, old Giggleswickians or OGs, cannot help but return to. I'm always encouraged by particularly old students returning to the chapel. Obviously when you know it's a cold January, February morning and they are forced to march up the hill the whole two or three hundred metres from school, uh, they can walk through the doors not looking best pleased to be here. But my experience, particularly with older students and students that have left the school, is that they take with them a huge affection for the chapel. Uh, The final uh, act as students that they do is they come to our leavers service which is here on their last evening as students at the school and the number of tears that have been shed as they realise that they are leaving not just the school but this very special place uh, I I, I think stands to to show how much uh, it does mean to the students and the staff but even more so, as I mentioned, when students come back and want to get married here, uh, it just shows that that association that they have from their time here as children carries on into adult life. And very often they're, they're incredibly proud to show off this building to their uh, prospective husband or wife, uh, whoever it is they're going to get married to. And it's a great place that they seem to come back to. Each year we have an old Giggles Wikian day where old students are invited back and that also includes a service here and the voices of the old students talking so uh, animatedly and excitedly about being in this place again and the way they join in with the singing uh, sort of hymns maybe they haven't sung since they were children it obviously resonates somewhere uh, sort of deep down in their psyche uh, which when you're looking at the occasional slightly uh, I'm hard perhaps to say bored face when uh, a student is in chapel uh, just knowing that maybe they don't appreciate it now but um, the evidence all shows that even if they don't know what what it's doing at the moment uh, it seems to stick with them when they go out into the world which I think is a, a great uh, a great gift. If you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe and tell your friends and ask them to subscribe too. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and all the major listening apps and at settlestories.org.uk. This podcast is sponsored by the Yorkshire Dales Millennium Trust as part of Stories in Stone. 
Stories in Stone is a scheme of conservation and community projects concentrated on the Ingleborough Dales area. The scheme was developed by the Ingleborough Dales Landscape Partnership, led by Yorkshire Dales Millennium Trust and supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund.